Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. Heard on QR Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Ched. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. And if you have a question, a concern, something on your mind for the Premier, you can phone or text. A big reminder, please keep those questions or texts as short as possible. All right, Premier Smith is ready and waiting to hear from you today. Those numbers, 403-974-8255 in Calgary, 780-496-0063 in Edmonton. Premier Smith, welcome. Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. Pleased to talk to you again, Wayne. Looking forward to it. Well, do you realize that it is one month to Christmas Day? My goodness, it is. Uh, I can't wait. This is such a great time of the, year. The older I you love get, all the Christmas. The older you get, the faster time goes. That's Isn't for it? sure. But all the Christmas decorations and oh, all it does the, look the, nice. the trees. I'm beginning to see that up everywhere. It's fantastic. So a lot of Calgary and Edmonton motorists applauding the cancellation of photo radar along Stony Trail in Calgary and in Edmonton, Anthony Henday Drive. I'd like to talk about that during the show. I'm sure our listeners are going to have a comment or two. But first, a story published last night says you're going to make good on your threat to invoke the Sovereignty Act next week over the Trudeau government's clean electricity regulations. True or false? And if so, why now? What's the process? Well, true, but people will have to wait until Monday to see the uh, the architecture of it. I, I'm just I'm, I've had it with Stephen Guibault, the environment minister. They've lost two court cases now, one at the Supreme Court level, one at a federal court level, saying they have to stay in their lane. Uh, their lane is clearly not electricity. Electricity, if anyone wants to read the Constitution under Section 92, falls to the provinces. And so we have been trying to work collaboratively with them on aligning their targets with our targets, which are 2050. I think that there's a lot of reason to believe that our, our power generators would be able to get to 2050, but they cannot get to 2035. We will not put our our, our, our uh, operators at risk of going to jail if they do not achieve unachievable, uh, if they do not achieve the targets that have been set, which we believe are unachievable. We have to have a reliable grid. We have to have an affordable grid. And we're going to make sure that we defend our constitutional jurisdiction to do that. All right. So the time is right. Kick them while they're down. Well, I have to tell you, I don't want to do this. I, I, I really did. From the very first conversation I had with Justin Trudeau, say I wanted to work with him on this. We put it together, the table with uh, negotiators so that we could find areas of common ground. But Stephen Guibault, I don't know. He's a maverick. He doesn't seem to care about the law, doesn't care about the Constitution. I do. And we're going to make sure that we assert that. All right. A couple of items on the health care front. A plan to give nurse practitioners to be allowed to set up their own publicly funded independent practices. This one not sitting well with doctors who say they're left feeling devalued and disrespected. Now, as an Albertan who has had to find a new family doctor three times now when each of my previous ones retired, and I keep shooting for younger and younger ones so that I hope that the next one will last, I see this move as a great move to help take some of the workload off the family doctors and still get medical assistance when needed. But I know that nurse practitioners aren't replacing doctors. To put it in medical terms, I kind of see them as a part of a, a sort of a triage approach, but it has to be collaborative. Nurse practitioners are going to be providing service to Albertans who currently don't have it. We have 700,000 people who are not connected to a family practice. That's what we're trying to fill is that gap. I've been asking the, the docs to, to see what they can do to expand their practices. I've been doing this for a year. We, we negotiated a new contract with them to give alternative payments models. Uh, unfortunately, we just weren't seeing progress. Every time I, I spoke with, uh, with doctors, I was told about how difficult it is to get doctors to agree to go into family practice. Only 10% of our doctors are graduating as uh, primary care practitioners. Many of them 
uh, are, are not opening up their own businesses. They're being physician assistants or they're being hospitalists. And as a result, we just don't have enough of our family doctors practicing that day-to-day family practice medicine. So um, we, we've created, our first step was to create an incentive for them to expand their practices. We're, we're going to be giving additional payments to help with the, uh, with the administrative burden of adding new patients on. We want to see family practices expand, but um, if, uh, if it is the case that family practitioners just are, have other higher value things that they want to dedicate their time to, we've got to find a way to make sure that patients have the service. So uh, pharmacists are a solution, nurse practitioners are a solution, and I think everybody should work to their full scope of practice. As for doctors, now on this past Thursday, Health Minister Adriana Lagrange announced a new deal is coming with family doctors to help boost primary care. A memorandum of understanding has already been signed. Are you optimistic this new deal will help reduce some of the acrimony between the government and doctors? You know, I, I think our relationship with the doctors is very good and we do want them to feel valued and supported. And we know that one of the reasons why why doctors have, have moved away from running their own practices is that the administrative burden is is really difficult. There are literally, I think, thousands of billing codes. And can you imagine the administrative burden of going through that? So I want people to be prepared for what it is we're looking at because we're, we're creating this model first with the nurse practitioners. And as many doctors who want to, to sign on to this model, we'd be happy to work with them too. So we're going to provide a base fee of $85,000 so that they can cover their administrative costs, get an office, make sure that their overhead is covered, that the lights stay on, that they can get their phones set up. That is going to be something that provides that one level of security. And then we're going to ask them to have a particular size patient panel, minimum of 900 patients, so that they, we can then have them managing that patient uh, panel on a per patient fee basis. And so that should remove a lot of the administrative burden, should lead to better health care, so that doctors can figure out the entire range of ways in which they can treat a, a patient, whether it's in person, on the phone, email, calls. Like They, they should be able to, to, to manage their practice in a way that doesn't penalize them, depending on, on what works best for them. And it also will allow them to manage to have those additional team members coming in, knowing that they can pay for them because they, they have a certain amount of patients that they're handling. So I'm, I'm very optimistic that we're going to land in the right place, not only for family practitioners who are doctors, but also those who are nurse practitioners. And I think people should, should understand that our objective is every single person needs to be attached to a primary care practitioner. It's the absolutely most important level of care when something goes wrong to be able to get referred to a specialist. And, and that's, what we're, that's what we're aiming for. And I, I hope we're able to achieve that very quickly. One final question before we go to uh, the phones. You and your government still taking heat over the Alberta Pension Plan proposal. And there's now criticism over the lack of in-person consultations that were promised. So what happened? Why break a promise over an issue of this magnitude? It's, it's not broken. We just have to, we wanted to get through the first round of getting to every single region. So um, so Jim Dinning decided initially that what he wanted to do was to do these uh, these these telephone town halls. And we've had 10 to 12,000 people participating in each one. I think the finance minister said a total of 76,000 have participated in those online information sessions. And then we've had almost, I think, another 100,000 who've participated with our online survey. Um, I love in-person meetings, but as you know, they're, they're, you, you tend to get a four or 500 people who would show up at those. And so you don't get the same level of interaction and the same level of ability to reach as many people as those other mechanisms. So we're going to meet with them, uh, with Jim Dinning as a caucus next week, get his initial feedback and figure out the timing of the, the next steps of consultation. So uh, stay, stay tuned. We'll have more to announce after we've had a, a chance to talk with him. The Alberta Federation of Labor has weighed in calling 
on the APP panel to resign because uh, leader Gil McGowan says the panel is only trying to legitimize the outcome that the government wants. Now, there are those who don't want to leave CPP no matter what, even if the numbers are there to support the case. You've got those who say, yep, if Quebec can have its own pension plan, why can't Alberta, which has been overpaying for years? And then you've got those who say the hard numbers, that they need those in order to make an informed decision, and they're not there, and that maybe they might perhaps think about it, but they need those numbers. So if there's no agreement on those numbers from all parties concerned, and I, that's federal government, Alberta government, CPP, CRA, who else knows what else, what's the point of even going to a referendum? Or or as you said, is this still the early stages of the process to get to that it is, referendum? It is still early stages. I can tell you this, the more people hear about it, the more they like it. And so that's a, a validation, I think, of our information process because people just didn't know that we were overpaying. People didn't know how uh, large the pot had grown to and how much uh, the uh, it, it had grown because of Albertans' overpayments, and people didn't realize that we could have the exact same plan giving the exact same benefits or better and the exact same plan giving the same contrib- contributions or, or lower. So I, I think that the information sessions have been really valuable that way. But we have heard, absolutely, that people want to have a better understanding of what the actual dollars are. The federal government has disputed our numbers. We said, fine, tell us what you think the right number is. They asked their chief actuary, who is independent and has uh, contacted us to say that uh, that they are, their office is beginning that work. I hope it, uh, they're able to, to do so within a, a matter of weeks or months as opposed to years so that we can avoid a bunch of legal wrangling. And once that number comes out, I think that that will uh, lead to another intensive round of consultations. But I, I agree. I mean, we heard that message loud and clear. If there's a dispute over the number, people need to know what the actual number is. And we're going to get that for them. All right. We're going to uh, take one quick phone call before we go to break. Uh, Daryl, uh, go ahead. Daryl's calling in from Diamond Valley. Yes. Good morning, Madam Premier. My question is regarding the traffic laws regarding emergency vehicles on the side of the road. Now, did you, you should consult with the AMA or the people, the people operating tow trucks and emergency vehicles. They go out there and they put their lives at risk every day. And like you say, slow down to 60, 60 kilometers an hour. If you're hit, you're still dead. And I think you should put it down to maybe about 40 at least. And uh, I think, you know, these emergency vehicles are not just on the side of the road. They're, they could be in the middle of the road, too, uh, like in maintenance vehicles cleaning junk off the road, which happens quite often on the Deerfoot. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for your um, for your comments. We have to remember where we were a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, we had the rule of slowing down to 60 kilometers per hour in the lane immediately on the uh, closest to an uh, an emergency vehicle being mostly it was um, ambulance and, and police. And what we heard was that it really should be any emergency vehicle that's at the side of the road, whether it's a, a, a tow truck or somebody who's got the, the lights on for, for construction. So what we've done is that we've created one law across the board. If you see lights at the side of the road, you got to slow down to 60 kilometers an hour in that lane that is immediately closest. Uh, 60 kilometers an, an hour is is what we uh, heard from, from those who are in those professions that uh, we needed to see. 
And the question is, should all the lanes be closed down? Um, and we made the decision that we want to see how it goes with just having that one lane closest to the vehicle, make sure that we've got a good education campaign so people understand that now. And if more needs to be done, I'm, 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 I'm certain that the numbers will show that. So we're monitoring it pretty closely. All right. Thank you, Premier Smith. We're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are listening to Your Province, Your Premier. Heard Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta in Edmonton on 630 Chad, right here in Calgary on QR Calgary. All right, right to the phones. Uh, Don has a question for Premier Smith. Go ahead, Don. You're on. Hi, Daniel. Premier Smith, Wayne. Um, Wayne, i got to say you're an excellent interviewer, by the way. Um, I'm going to flop some feathers today. So um, we say that we want zero emissions, this, that, net carbon zero, all the rest of it, as uh, Trudeau flies off to see, go to Davos and spend $5,000 a night on a hotel and hang out with Professor Klaus Schwab. But um, the fact is, is that, uh, and <clears throat> somebody just sent me a thing today, people can go to Google it, because it's not true unless it's on Google, um, is there's an interview, I think it's Rogan and uh, Elon Musk, he had designed cars that would run on water, and basically the government came in and shut his problem project down it's nothing i haven't seen before you can go all the way back to 1977 there was a guy that invented water just type in water car inventor murdered on uh, google as soon as he approached the military this project got shut down later i seen the technology go to uh, south korea it was actually on local tv here years and years ago and then the new version came out i actually invested in the technology i seen it right here in edmonton but yeah we can make cars run on water we don't need all this electrical stuff that they're doing and we could run electrical generators on water as well um my next <laughs> so unless the, i guess my question is is would the province i have a want to get to healthcare, but did the province actually protect people that have these this type of technology and stop the federal government or other governments from interfering with it as we developed it we're not reinventing the wheel it's already being invented so that's my one first question Don, let, next, should i answer that first before we hear okay, another sure. question Okay. Uh, so, 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 Don, I would, I would say, I, I don't, I don't know about that uh, technology. I have seen some um, amazing innovations from early in the century. I think that they, uh, they also had cars that that ran on ethanol completely as well on alcohol. And so, I would say that what is happening now is there's a bit of a reemergence of some of those old technologies, and we're investing in as many as we possibly can. Our emissions reduction, Alberta is constantly giving new dollars for new innovation. So you can feel free to you know, send it to my office, premier at gov.ab.ca, and I, I'll try to, to track some of that down. But it may well be that just at this time, there's finally an enthusiasm for us to be investing in a number of different innovations. And I'm, I'm, I feel like the energy companies are, are being very genuine in, in their uh, interest in, in broadening this out. And we've always said as conservatives that if we're going to move to cleaner fuels, technology is going to solve it. Technology is beginning to solve it. So I'm very pleased to see some of those innovations. I've, I've seen, for instance, I think in, so the Saudis are working on a combustion engine vehicle that's run off of hydrogen. Uh, we've been using fuel cells. So I'm a little bit interested in seeing how that one goes because it may be very close to what you're describing where essentially it's, it's, it's just going to be running on water. So and on the, opposite end of there. on the opposite end of things, Premier Smith, I, I just saw on TV, there's a guy who uh, runs his vehicle on a wood-fired uh, fireplace that's in the back of his truck <laughs> <laughs> boy the air quality in that in the cabin yeah. probably isn't great yeah for sure don uh you had second question but please make this one very quick okay um health care um 
Ultra-Processed People is a book, but written by a British guy, Chris Van, I can't pronounce his last name. He's been on Course Radio Network, he's been on publicly funded radio, but basically he's talking about over-processed foods. Um, our children are growing slower, their brains are developing slower, which causes all kinds of health problems. So as if we wanted to reduce the cost of health care, like some people, when I tell them, like, let's say their knees going or their joints going, I've rebuilt lots of knees and joints because I have tons of injuries over the years. Uh, it's really basic. Uh, take minerals because we know that since 1970 or since in the 1950, we've lost 70% of the nutritional value in food. But if you just take gelatin, minerals, vit or some vitamins and stuff, you could actually rebuild. And there's tons of studies. The first one I read was back in 1995. Don, 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 Don I'm going to have to cut you off there. Your, your, your quick question was? Okay, quick question was, is uh, can't we start at the front end to reduce health care costs rather than waiting until people, their joints are all breaking down, their bodies are breaking down, gotcha. and then have to treat them later? All right, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Don. This is, this is the reason why a primary care practitioner is so vital and why team practice is so vital. So if we can create this new funding model where you're able to give a nurse practitioner or doctor a lump sum for managing patients, then they can bring in dietitians and nutritionists and physiotherapists and natural practitioners to be able to aid in, in that front-end prevention. I, I agree. I mean, good sleep, stress release, exercise, diet, that is a foundation. There's thousands of studies that come out every year talking about how important that is. And just being able to have a guidance on, on how to implement that in, in a person's life, I think is going to be really valuable. So that's why we've got to start foundationally getting the, the, prim, the primary care model working. So thanks for that, Don. All right. Uh, Guy or Guy calling from Edmonton uh, about that very topic. Nurse practitioners, go ahead. Hi, Premier Smith. It's Dr. Guy Blay. I'm family physician. I spoke to you the first day after you got elected and talked about the uh, shortage of family doctors and stuff like that in the crisis. And um, I'm obviously disappointed with your solution about uh, saying that a uh, nurse practitioner can replace a family physician and that somehow you came up with a number that they can do 80% of what we do. So uh, two quick questions. Um, one, are you going to put any incentives into, because um, right now medical students are applying for their internship for family medicine, are you going to put any incent incentives uh, for them to stay um, in um, Alberta? Secondly, with that, will they um, uh, for the family physicians that are just starting, they would have just started in July, are you going to give them the same incentives that you're giving the nurse practitioners? And finally, where does the 80% number come from? Because I've never seen that. Um, thank you for taking my call. Well, thank, thank you for your, your comments on that. Um, yes, we started with giving incentives to, um, to family practitioners by giving them increased amounts of dollars associated with expanding their practice. Um, I've also talked to my colleagues across the country who have said that doctors in Alberta are paid the best relative to other provinces, and we want to maintain that advantage. We want people to continue coming here. I was delighted to see that I think we had almost 300 doctors who graduated choose to stay here, and another 250 in the last quarter choose to, to come to Alberta. So I think that that is positive. Um, in talking with, um, with the AMA, I mean, here's the reality. I think we have 5,500 doctors who have registered as family practitioners and only 2,500 of them are operating a family practice. So I, I, I would have to say that we, we want doctors to practice and, and operate their own practices. But if, if they're making a choice for their families and for their own environment that they want to do something else, I, I can't force people to open up practices. We can only incentivize them. 
If they choose to work in hospital instead, then that is, uh, that is I want doctors to also be able to have a full range of practice too. But I, we can't operate Alberta with almost 5 million people with only 2,500 clinics willing to do family practice. We've got to find other ways. So we've started with family practitioners. We're starting to work on the MOU. We would love to see some of the things that would incentivize um, doctors to stay in that area. But it, it, in just watching the way things are going, knowing that nurse practitioners are just chomping at the bit to be able to to uh, help fill some of the gap, that that's what we've decided to do. It's been in, I've been talking with both AMA as well as the nurse practitioners. It was many nurse practitioners over over many discussions, they'll dispute it. I mean, nurse practitioners, some will say that they get 100% of the same training that doctors have. Uh, others have told me that uh, because there's a, a few things that are a little bit different, 80%, maybe they have a few uh, fewer years of education in some cases, but um, we're, we're starting there and we're going to see if it works. And if we have to make adjustments, we'll make them along the way. But the objective remains the same. The we nurse have to have every the, single person having a family act a, access to a family practitioner. The nurse practitioner's uh, issue has really hit a hot button with our callers and texters this morning. So uh, we're going to go to this text question uh, from Jody. She says, how do we get support immediately with our complex problem? I'm our four pillars of healthcare. Is there a plan to remove the excessive layers of bureaucracy so management can enable their employees instead of enabling the ideas of the bloated bureaucracy? There's a chance right now that you're going to lose some of the most experienced nurses in Calgary, ASAP, as a result of top-down dictate. Potential 120 of us looking for new jobs with what we're facing. I, I sympathize with Jody, and that's exactly what we're trying to change. I've watched over the years as cost-cutting measures took place and what I've always been frustrated to see is when uh, uh, when they close uh, facilities or close hours where the, the people who are taking the biggest hit are those on the front line. That's the opposite of what should happen. And it's why our first uh, step of the of the board was to have six senior executives um, uh, depart so that we could bring some new leadership and new direction in. And we are working through line by line every single management position and making sure that those uh, management positions are justified uh, so that we can push more people down into the into the hospitals doing that one-on-one -on -one direct look the patient in the eye type of care we we've gotten way too top heavy and that's where we're beginning it's starting from the top down not the bottom up and I, I i would just ask jody to have a little bit of patience because we're we're going to move quite quickly on this but our 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 in um our streamlining efforts are are centered around the management layers we we know we need more resources on the front line and that's where they're going to go Another text says lawyers have to contribute to legal aid. Why can't specialist doctors contribute to frontline care? Well, well, look, we want we want to make sure that doctors are well trained. Uh, they they have spent a lot of years in school, and many of them rack up a ton of student loan debt. And so when they get back into the the, the private sector, they are in high demand. And so what they, they could go anywhere. And we want to make sure that we have the very best environment so that they choose Alberta. So I, I certainly wouldn't want to be um, to be forcing doctors to do something they don't want to do and risk having them flee to go to the, the United States or somewhere else. We have to create the best environment for doctors to stay here. So I, uh, I, that, that isn't on the table. What, what is on the table is making sure everyone's got a family, a family care practitioner that we're streamlining our hospital services so that our specialists can do more surgeries 
see more patients and have more incentive to stay here. And I, I think that that is, a, is, is the way that we get through some of our waiting lists. All right. Another texter says, a few days ago, I watched the evening news. Minister LaGrange said there were 252 new doctors registered in the province. Where are they working? I'm sorry, I don't have that granular information but because it's a big province. We've got 106 health facilities uh, that are run by Alberta Health Services, others run by Covenant Health and uh, thousands of, uh, of medical practices. So I'm, I'm sorry, I can't get, give you that granular level of detail. But the, 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 the fact of the matter is the numbers are going up and that's positive. All right, Doreen is calling in from Sherwood Park with the nurse practitioner question. Go ahead, Doreen. It's Dory, actually. I love the idea of nurse practitioners. I was raised in rural Alberta in the 50s and 60s, and we had a rural nurse. Our district nurse had her little office right there beside the community hall with a rural nurse. She, she triaged so many patients and saved hundreds, I, I would think even thousands of trips to the doctor or the hospital. Now, my family doctor, and I'm very thankful to have one, but he's so upset with his idea of the government's mistreatment of doctors that he tries to fix the problem by taking two months off in the summer. Now that, and, and I don't begrudge him a holiday, but that just makes the problem worse and puts more pressure on the whole system. So um, just a thumbs up, great idea for the nurse practitioners, and I'm definitely looking forward to them being in, in, in place. Thanks. We're, we're, we're working hard to repair the relationship with doctors. We know we got off on, on the wrong foot. And we, we um, I think our, our former health minister, through the negotiation process, did, did a lot of work to repair that damage. And, and he put in practice that, uh, or in the contract, that 20, we would all work towards having 25% of doctors on this alternative payment model that we're now exploring with the nurse practitioners. As sadly, we just didn't make much progress on it in the last year. And, uh, and I, I, I continued to watch as fewer and fewer graduates were choosing primary care. We, we, we have to try to do something to make sure that not only is it an attractive way for doctors to continue to make a living, but also that we are able to, to fill the gap with others who are, who are very well trained. You know what I think I should say, Wayne, because um, nurse practitioners, some people have, and I've watched this online, think that that's the same thing as a licensed practical nurse. It is not. A licensed practical nurse has a different level of training and then an RN has even more training. And then a nurse practitioner has even more training and work experience. They, it really is a continuum. And so I want people, I don't want people to be confused about what a, a nurse practitioner is. It, it really is at um, the top level of training among those who've gone down the nursing track. I believe it's at least six years of education for a nurse practitioner. And and also years of being on the ground in uh, yeah. um, in, yeah, minimum, in doing frontline patient years. care. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, go on to our other hot button topic today, which I think has been a hot button topic ever since it was announced: the Alberta Pension Plan. Uh, Lorna calling in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Lorna. You're on with Premier Smith. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a comment and then a question. The comment is that for our seniors living in Alberta. Eve Giroud, the public, uh, parliamentary, public, uh, parliamentary budget officer, he did a calculation that because of the unfair, uneven um, application of the carbon tax and the clean fuel tax, by 2030, each Alberta household will be paying $1,157 a year extra in taxes as compared to Ontario by 2030, their households will pay $495 per year. So the argument is that everybody gets paid the same amount of um, Canada pension, but if they're taxing us at different rates, 
we in Alberta are going to be left with different um, uh, different amounts of, of remaining income from our pensions. That's my comment. I don't think that's fair um, for us in Alberta. And Yves Giroux made the comment that the lowest um, income households would be affected the most by this unequal ap- application of the tax. And then my question is, I believe I heard you say that um, that it was going to be immigration and workers paying into the Canada Pension Fund that was going to keep it funded. So my concern is, is that with automation taking over jobs, I don't believe that machines pay into payroll taxes. With um, temporary foreign workers, the government policy, are they charged payroll taxes that they will never be able to collect upon or are they given an exemption if they work here and if we're taking bringing in more foreign workers then that means that they too won't be paying into our programs and I have a concern around immigration because when you I hear the numbers 500,000 being immigrant people being brought in that's persons that's not 500,000 workers so if I'm thinking about that if you bring in a family you may have the husband possibly the wife working and if they're bringing in three or four children for a number of years they're not contributing they're dependent on our society and I understand they're counting on them in the future but they can also bring in their elderly um, Parents, so that is how many people per worker are we bringing in as dependents in our society versus workers that are contributing to our society? And I'm not commenting as to whether that's right or wrong. It's just a question. So overall, this idea that we're bringing workers in to subsidize our pension plan when we consider those three topics, is that really going to be a sustainable option and and the the immigrant people may leave if the cost of living gets too high we have no guarantee they'll stay here there's a lot on the table that lorna put there i would say first of all the the numbers that she did about alberta paying more taxes and getting less benefits that is the case on every single program so whether it's a fuel tax or whether it's the amount that we pay in payroll taxes cpp ei personal income taxes corporate income taxes versus the dollars that come back I think most recent year had us uh, paying $26 billion more with a, with all of those different payments than we get back in benefit versus Quebec, which gets $25 billion more than they pay in all of those um, different uh, federal taxes. So uh, she's, she's absolutely right. And that's part of the reason why we're trying to fix the federation, because I, I just don't think it's fair either. When it comes to, to immigration, I just saw a, a story in the last week talking about how Canada had the lowest number of births on record, I think, since 2005. So we have a situation now where people are just choosing to have fewer kids. The replacement value uh, of, or the replacement number that women need, uh, and families need to have to be able to uh, continue to sustain your population without immigration is 2.1 child's children per family, and we're down to 1.3. And so if you continue to um, to see that happen, what will happen, there'll just be fewer and fewer workers coming into the stream to support more and more retirees. And that won't work with um, health care, with long-term care, with, with pension support. 
So that, the reality is that countries like ours that have low birth rates have always uh, welcomed uh, newcomers in from the rest of the world. And we have a very good system. We we ask people who come here who are highly educated, have degrees. Uh, they get more points if they, if they know English. And uh, uh, you see many, many immigrant families encouraging their kids to go to university so that they can also be getting high-paying jobs. So I, I maybe see it a little bit differently than uh, than Lorna, I th I think that the the amount of benefit that this province has had from people coming from not only the rest of the country from the round of the world far outweighs the cost, and we and I think we want to keep that going. All right, one uh, text line. This is Mac in Canmore. We're losing nurses, paramedics, and doctors rapidly, and new grads because other provinces are paying more. How are you going to fix this? Paramedics in BC, he says, make almost double, and family doctors make almost thirty percent more after overhead. Well, I guess I, I've heard opposite. Uh, I've heard from my, my premier counterparts that uh, doctors are the best paid in the country. Um, one of the issues that I have about um, uh, nurses is that we've created an environment where nurses just simply don't want to work full time. Uh, I was so surprised to hear that only 38% of our nursing staff are full time. And that says to me that we've got a problem in creating an environment where people are excited to go to work for us. So that's what we're trying to work through is how do we improve working conditions so that more nurses will not only want to stay in Alberta, but will also want to work full time and also give more pathways to nurses. So if you go through and get your um, get additional training, you could start your own practice one day as a nurse practitioner. So we're, we're, we, we have yet to see what the impact of that's going to be. But I, I can tell you the nurse practitioners are very enthusiastic. And as for paramedics, it's a it's a real problem. Um, I've I've been told that the attrition rate on paramedics is about five years. That's a lot of training from really highly qualified health practitioners to see that kind of turnover. And it's it's why we prioritized improving working conditions, allowing more paramedics to treat on site. Allow making sure we're reducing the amount of time that they're parked and sitting at a at a hospital. We've got more work to do because we made great progress and then it slid a bit. But I can tell you that is uh, one of the highest priorities as well for uh, for Adriana is addressing uh, is addressing that that those working conditions too. All right, Chris has been holding on for uh, since the start of the show. Chris, it's your turn calling in from Edmonton on recall legislation. Yeah, actually, Wayne, thanks for taking my call, and I actually was going to ask a question about recall legislation and I'll just make a comment quickly uh, Madam Premier that the current recall legislation requires 40% of eligible voters within and that is simply not achievable it should be based on the number of voters that voted in the last election or some lesser percentage like uh, you know 40 or 30 percent but based on the actual number of voters that voted in the last election as, as it is right now there's no possible way that anyone could recall a, a politician or a trustee or anything like that my 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 other question was um this memorandum of understanding that you've signed with the ama um and minister lagrange says she's going to propose a different compensation model for family doctors i'd like to ask you what that compensation model is going to be is it going to be a flat fee to handle a certain number of patients uh, okay, so let me just deal with the, the first one. I yeah. personally, I tend to agree with you on recall. What I have heard, however, is that the problem that we have is maybe we can, should have different percentages for different levels of office. Um, having a higher percentage for 
a provincial office might make sense because you end up with more engagement, more voter turnout. But there are a lot of uh, elections at municipal and school board level where the turnout is very, very low. And so having the ability to recall somebody with only a few hundred or a few thousand votes, I think that's what we've heard from municipalities. They, they seem to think that that would be a little bit unfair. So we want to do a little bit more investigation into that. But I, I do agree with you for, for provincial level, 40% of eligible voters is, is probably too high. So let me uh, let me take that away. Uh, so yes, you're, you're absolutely right about the kind of approach that, that we're talking about taking, which is to give a, a flat fee for, uh, for first of all, uh, helping them to pay for their uh, their overhead. And I think we've already identified what that would be. It's about, um, it's $85,000, whether it's a nurse practitioner or a family physician. And you think about what you'd have to pay on a monthly basis just to be able to manage your overhead costs. We think that that's pretty reasonable, especially in Calgary and Edmonton where rents are so high. And then we would have um, an expectation that they would uh, maintain a certain patient load and we would pay them on that basis. So instead of, of having to bill $36 for every visit, we would say, okay, well, here's a certain amount of money and we expect you to provide the full range of patient care for your entire panel for the course of the year. Now, I don't know what that number is going to settle in at. I think um, at the moment we know that that doctors average somewhere around 396000 a year in billings if they've got a, a full patient panel and a full practice. And so if we can reduce the administrative burden maintain the amount that they would be billing anyway, maintain the patient loads, or maybe even increase them. I think we'll all be better off for that. We want to make sure that we're doing it in a way that doesn't create perverse incentives. But I, I think that the the system that we have right now is uh, it's burdensome for the doctor. It uh, is frustrating for the patient because we have heard patients being asked to come back multiple times because they're only allowed a one-visit one service rule. If you if you have a different type of funding model, then a patient come in and say, I've got, you know, 10 different things. Can you deal with them all at once? And then you can have a two-hour appointment. We've got to give docs the pay, the uh, flexibility to do that kind of thing. And, and I think that's why we're looking towards an MOU with a new model. And we hope it works. All right. We're going to pause for a break. Our last one. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. Your final opportunity today to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. -on -one. And let's get right to those phones. Uh, Harry is phoning in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Harry. Hey, uh, good morning, and uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, two quick questions. Okay, I think we danced around this a little bit with that grid, and we have a, an issue here where there are electric cars on the roadways, and these cars... They do not pay no maintenance tax. Like when an individual goes and fuels up his vehicle, he pays it at the pump immediately. These guys do not. They rob the grid, and they need to, I think, implement like they did in British Columbia. I'm kind of hearing where they license or they go and register their vehicle, flap them there, and so they pay their fair share. Okay, and the next one is uh, we got a couple projects here that would put a lot of people to work. And one is the Dow Chemical. They have a, uh, a $16 billion project that will go for nine years, and they want to do a hydrogen uh, plant. And also, as well, uh, there by Suncor on 17th Street in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, is uh, Liquid Air, and they're going to do the same. So what is the holdback, and can you uh, speed up the, the process? 
All right. Thanks so Thank much you. for that. You, you know, Her- Harry's right. I, I hate to say it, but at some point, if we have more zero emissions vehicles on the road, there's going to have to be a, a way of paying for the roads. Because right now, the, um, the the fuel tax is, a, uh, we, we've set that at a, at a rate so that it does end up paying for transportation infrastructure. We've given a reprieve over the last um, couple of years because Oil prices have been so high, and we know that we have an affordability crisis. But I'll take a, a look at no, – people probably aren't going to want to hear me say it, but I will take a look at what Harry says because as we transition, there is going to need to be some fairness there, and uh, I think he, he raises a good point. Uh, the, the second part is we we have an Alberta Petrochemical Incentive Program that I think Harry was referencing where we agree to, to rebate 12% of the capital cost of a project so that we can in- incentivize more projects to come here. And it has been so successful. There are $38 billion worth of projects that have expressed an interest. And I, I share uh, Harry's concern that some of them haven't made it to final investment decisions. Some of that involves negotiating with the federal government on a, a number of different things. Some of it um, and is just a process that they have to go through internally at their companies, making decisions to stage their various investments. But I I, I remain very hopeful that we'll continue to see more of those projects. We've supported three so far, one with Dow Petrochemical, one with um, Air Products, and another with Interpipeline with $600 million of rebated costs for capital. But I, I, I have a, a strong suspicion you're going to see a lot more of that when the companies make their decisions. From the text line, uh, this one from <clears throat> Fancy Derek. We're hearing a lot about anti-Semitic and anti-Palestinian racism, but I would like you to, to know why no one seems to be talking about anti-Ukrainian racism huh I you know I'm happy to have you uh, contact my parliamentary secretary which is uh, J- uh, J- Jackie Armstrong Hominek she is not only my the parliamentary secretary for Ukrainian evacuees but for all settlement and I've um, I have to tell you she hasn't raised those concerns with me I'm not saying it's not happening but I, I would like to get a handle on on whether that is uh, a, a widespread because the, we don't tolerate racism against anyone for any reason so if that is happening I'd be very concerned about it all right, uh, Gilles is uh, texting in from Edmonton. Can you please look at changing the requirement for libraries having five board members where the community has less counselors? Small communities find it difficult to have a library board when five are required and we only mandate three counselors. Thank you for red tape reduction. It's a fair point. I, I must tell you, I don't know enough about how libraries are regulated to know if that is something empowered through our Municipal Government Act or if that's a, a policy at, at the at the level of the municipality. But I'll make a note that uh, that we have to get in touch with Rick McIver, who's our Municipal Affairs Minister, to see if there's some way we can add for flexibility on that. We already do on police, police commissions. So those municipalities that have their own uh, oversight. Some of them are very large, like Calgary and, and Edmonton. Some of them are quite small, like uh, Tabor and Camrose. So there is some flexibility in how we we govern that approach. So it does seem like there does need to be some flexibility on uh, library boards. And if that's something we're standing in the way of, we should we should see what we can do to clear it up, clear it out of the way. All right. Uh, one final question from the text line: Alberta pays the highest electricity rates in Canada. What will the UCP government do now to lower rates and stop blaming the federal government? And this texture has included a graph from FutureWork uh, showing what privatized electricity has wrought. 
The, the real problem is that we have accelerated the phase out of baseload power and we have not replaced it with baseload power. We've got intermittent power and it is wreaking havoc on the grid. It's wreaking havoc on the Alberta electric system operator. The last of the coal comes off in January and as more and more coal has come off stream, we've seen greater and greater volatility. Uh, I've been watching this for many years. It was a high priority for me. It's part of the reason why I separated affordability utilities out into its own ministry and I've got Nathan Newdorf working on it. There, there will be many, many changes that are coming. The pause that we've put on wind and solar allowed it, us to do a, a deeper look at what is going wrong with the cost of transmission, the cost of distribution. Why don't we have more baseload power being proposed? Why is it called a regulated rate option when it's the most volatile rate? So he's uh, preparing a, a series of reforms that will be presented before the pause comes off at the end of February. It's not just going to deal with wind and solar. It's going to deal with everything. I will say we have seen rates come down. So they were, if you can believe it, 32 cents a kilowatt hour on the regulated rate option. They've come down to 16 cents a kilowatt hour. We've got three major new projects coming on in the new year that were legacy natural gas they they got the approvals years ago that will bring on 2700 megawatts of new power which will bring it down further but we've got a growth um uh, issue we we're going to double the amount of electricity over the next uh 25 years we've got to make sure that we keep up so we don't see those price spikes so more is coming we we're on it all right premier smith uh, our time is up we have had a lot a whole slew of texts from both edmonton and calgary on healthcare-related issues and the APP. We will try to get to those next time. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. I, and people should know that I am headed to the uh, to, to COP28 So because I feel like I can do a better job representing Alberta's interests than uh, Environment Minister Stephen Guibault. So I'm hoping to be able to give you a bit of an update on the progress that we're making there. We're, I can't wait to tell Alberta's story to the world. It's going to be amazing. Fantastic. And you'll be back for your province, your premier, on Saturday, December 9th. That's two weeks from today. Thanks again. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.